welcome to You Don't Have to Yell. I'm your host, Dan Sally, and we are recording live in Dedham, Massachusetts, the birthplace of modern democracy. Now, this month, we're all about guns, their impact on American society, and our debate over them. And in last week's episode, we talked with Brian K. Fry of the University of Kentucky's College of Law, who taught us that the Second Amendment is only as good as people care to enforce it, and until recently, nobody cared. So to make this month even more confusing, I decided to speak with David O'Sullivan, who moved here from Ireland, which has no gun culture, to Oklahoma, a state where kids get guns for Christmas. I swear that's not a lie for those of you not from Oklahoma. Now, if you go to Ireland or anywhere else in Europe for that matter, what you'll find is that most people think we're absolutely bonkers with our love of guns. And I sort of expected David to be the same way. Now, it turns out 100% the opposite. He's actually an avid hunter and owns his very own AR-15. So let's all give David an A-plus for assimilation. Now, you may be asking, what makes someone like David dive headfirst into this peculiar segment of Americana? The answer, poor quality meat. You're going to figure that part out in a bit. I'll be back at the end with closing comments. Where in Ireland did you grow up anyway? Where were you born? Dublin. So you were born and raised in Dublin. North Dublin the whole time. And then you lived there until you met... Lori, your wife, and then you moved to Oklahoma. And so you've lived in Dublin and Oklahoma, and that's been pretty much the the life of David, correct? Yeah, that's pretty much it. That's it. All right. So obviously, you you know, you go over to Dublin, people have their own impressions of of what it's like in America and and -hmm. probably their own impressions of Oklahoma. Why don't you tell me, so before you before you moved to Oklahoma, like what were you expecting there, I guess? Or what were what were your preconceptions about middle America before arriving. Yeah. So I guess, um, thankfully I watched a lot of King of the Hill growing up. (laughs) So I feel like it kind of prepped me a little bit. Um, (laughs) yeah, man. Yeah. Not going to lie. Um, (laughs) (laughs) that's like as close to immersion as you get, I think. Yeah. You know, you'll meet that guy who talks like Boomhauer and (laughs) yeah. Yeah. That guy just wants to talk about grilling all day because it's very interesting, apparently. Um, yeah, yeah. So no, I uh, I tried to have as open a mind as I could, but I wouldn't uh-huh. say the impression I had was overall positive. Because like previously to moving here, like my most experience with the U.S. is like um, I worked at a company based out of Boston, so I spent a lot of time in Boston. That's where I actually met my wife, um, mm-hmm. and you know places like New York or San Fran, they're much mm-hmm. more what i'd be used to so Mm -hmm. this was definitely a little shock yeah yeah you know it's funny uh that you know having again having been to dublin quite a bit having lived in a couple cities here in the u.s and and been around different parts of the world you know i find that the divide now or not i shouldn't say the divide but i find that there's almost a greater distinction between let's call it rural america even though it's technically not rural where you are mm-hmm. and urban america there's a greater distinction there than there is between like dublin and boston let's say or dublin oh, and san fran 100% like dublin 
and Boston, like, other than physically perhaps looking different, they're very similar. Uh, it's like finance companies and tech companies everywhere. People have similar attitudes, similar outlooks on things. But yeah, there's definitely a very big difference. And people here, hmm. you know, are kind of, oh, the coastal elite. You hear that one a lot? Um, yeah. So yeah, people people are a little different out here. Yeah. Do you get lumped into that group then? Or do you get like a pass? Because I don't know. I get all of the weirdest, the weirdest things. Like people stand there and complain about immigrants to me. <laughs> and just it's okay because I'm like the paler shade, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> You're one of the good ones. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's weird. People have like mixed feelings towards it because it's this thing where like I don't think they, they're like inherently relatively nice people, but sometimes they just have these horribly like racist tendencies, and they think just because like you're maybe not Hispanic, <laughs> it's not the same thing. And you're like, oh, okay. What I guess what surprised you about it, or what were some of the things you know? Because because you really like you went like whole hog like America, like America, <laughs> America. You know, like like you're you're probably more American than me right now living there. So, so tell me like, like what were the big surprises or what were the, what were the biggest things that stood out to you when you moved there? Um, can't walk anywhere. That, that was really strange for yeah. me. Uh, and we're like a one car house too. So it's very, very odd. Um, mega churches. That was, that was super strange. Like these giant churches everywhere. Like what I'd call the size of a warehouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like just prevalence of, I would say religion and day-to-day life is strange for me. Um, I feel like Europe in general is a, is a very secular place, and maybe even not secular in the sense that like people might not believe in God, but like it will be very unusual to meet someone in my age group or younger who's like, "Yeah, I'm going to church today." Uh, in Europe, that would just be like, "Oh, that's that's a very strange thing to hear." Whereas that is very normal here, and and that was kind of a bit of a strange culture shock. And then to, at some point there, you got introduced to firearms, right? And you got introduced <laughs> to hunting. So tell me oh, about yeah. all that. Yeah. So I guess hunting for me kind of started where I'm a big food guy. I okay. love food. Um, I'm like to backpedal a little bit. Like one of the, I, I used to cook professionally for a short amount of time and mm-hmm. um, I love cooking. Um, and when I got here, I was really just let down by the quality of like the the meat produce especially um like like what you'd get in a standard everyday supermarket in ireland is probably better than what you get in the higher end more boutique supermarkets here Mm -hmm. and if you if you can't find a craft butcher so i was just really kind of dismayed with like not dismayed uh like i was um just not inspired to cook anymore Mm -hmm. i guess maybe that's where the hunting thing came from um well, the desire to hunt and like the, like being fine with getting meat that way. Um, yeah, my father in law is a big hunter. Um, okay, yeah, so that that helped. He he introduced me to it. Um, we had uh, her family had a piece of property that was a nice size, like eight hundred acres, I think, that mm-hmm. we were able to go out and hunt on. So yeah, and I just sorts. I want to pause there for a second. Mm-hmm. And address the folks listening, because a lot of people don't understand how poisoned the American food supply is, and how, how sp- and the stuff that effectively, like you look at a at like let's call it like again like a high end supermarket like Whole Foods for example, right? Mm-hmm. 
so we pay extra to get to go there and you pay extra to go there because you know the food's going to be of a certain quality there are going to be certain things that aren't in it my understanding is whole foods pretty much lives up to what standard food safety regulations would be in the eu yeah that that seems about right i would say other than the price point and maybe the level of eclectity of their of their stock yeah well the meat produce will definitely i would say is probably up to par with what you get in an average supermarket in ireland yeah yeah and the second thing i'd like to drive home to everybody listening is that our food is so bad that dave had to go out and kill (laughs) you drove me to kill america (laughs) so so what do you so you have this 800 acre sort of 800 acre piece of property what do you hunt there then uh, white-tailed deer is the main thing. Um, Got it. Yeah, so we get a lot of deer out there. We're very mm-hmm. lucky. It's it's uh, all low fence, mm-hmm. so it's free range. They come and go. We don't catch them and breed them kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we also got pigs. And now, are they javelinas? Is that what the pigs are? Or are they just kind of like some other type of pig? Because I know no, Texas I think has... have, I think, yeah, I think Texas is mostly javelinas. These are just wild hogs. What well, everyone refers to them as, and they are a pest. Okay, they got destroyed it. Destroyed a place. Um, yeah, like a hog is the most legitimate reason to own an AOR fifteen for most people. <laughs> really? <laughs> oh, they're they're tough. They're like uh-huh. super tough. I've thrown a lot of lead into a hog, and it keeps uh-huh. going. Um, and they they destroy your land. They dig. They burrow. Like they just tear it up. So you own an AR fifteen. If you don't own a gun in America and you hate guns, you know the AR-15. Yep, it's the scary looking one. It's that yeah, I don't like. Yeah, absolutely. So, and this is something I wanted I want to talk with you about because obviously one of the conversations you always have when you're you're talking to folks uh, outside of the U.S., especially in Europe, is you know the conversation about gun, and, and obviously everyone over there just thinks it's crazy. So did you have any preconception about guns prior to coming over here? I had a preconception that definitely I've always enjoyed firearms and like tanks and helicopters, mm-hmm. you know, like things you can make models of as a kid. Yeah. So like stuff like that, always like that, always interested. Um, and I've, I've always enjoyed like shooting sports. I did archery for years and years in Ireland. Okay. Uh, so I've never been particularly biased against it. I definitely had a preconception about America's gun violence issues, though, um, mm-hmm. which, you know, <laughs> definitely stand out. Um, yes. Yes. So did it, did anything change at all then when you came here? Yeah, I think so. I think I definitely have different perspectives on gun ownership now as it pertains to America. Because I do think, essentially, in terms of what would work for Europe, doesn't necessarily might not work here. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a big proponent of liberal gun ownership. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to convince all of my liberal friends they should have <laughs> guns. Um, I think it's a great idea, and I think I think the basic concept around the Second Amendment and gun ownership in America is a great thing. Mm-hmm. It like make sure a power can't get so abusive that they they can take over or they can, mm-hmm. they can do wrong that you have an armed populace to potentially keep you in check. Mm-hmm. I think that I actually, I like that concept. Mm-hmm. Do, do you think there's any aspect of it that's gone overboard here? 
I think so. Here's the thing. I think America has a problem with like violence and abuses of power mm-hmm. and mental health <laughs> versus necessarily a problem with guns. Okay. Because yeah, okay, we see all these crazy people go out there and they they shoot up like a school or they'll do something crazy but at the same time we also have like an immensely abusive police force compared to the rest of the world who are also shooting down people in record numbers mm-hmm. so i i don't think the problem is necessarily gun ownership rather yeah. uh potentially a mental state that people seem to have here in the u.s i mean are we a more violent society or is it just that maybe we're not addressing issues that could potentially reduce it that aren't related to gun ownership well, I mean, America definitely has a problem addressing mental health. Yeah. That they don't. Yes. Um, <laughs> like, there's a lot of sick people who need help in this country, and they don't get it because yeah. it's either not available or unaffordable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the gun issue is – it's kind of a divisive one. Um, like, I get why people are so passionate one way or the other, and I get how you can be like, oh, the, someone having a gun – is the problem but like mm. what are the factors driving someone to shoot 20 people you know mm-hmm. that's that's also a, a very relevant question and if you're that crazy you probably like i hate to be like that guy it's like you'd probably find another way to do it anyway and i know that's a bit of a mm-hmm. stupid argument at the same time but it's a yeah it's a tricky one <sighs> you know it's a tough one for me because i'll give you an example so my kids Ever periodically have to do lockdown drills at their school. So my my interactions with firearms effectively, that's kind of the closest it comes to affecting my life is that my mm-hmm. kids effectively have to practice periodically for if somebody comes in trying yeah. to shoot up the school. And it's and you know it's it scares them. It scared them like yeah, when they I mean, first that would scare it. me. If yeah. I was working at an office where they were like, hey, just in case someone tries to kill us all. That would make me uncomfortable. Yeah. Like, they shouldn't be doing that. Because, I mean, A, yes, there's obviously a problem with school shootings in America. But B, like the chances of it happening are still so slim. You should not be scaring little children like that. The, the, the help it might potentially provide in the like one in a million situation where an incident would happen at their school is probably not worth the mental distress you're giving them. Yeah, that's kind of, it's kind of the way we work here. If you look back, like if you look back to like the Cold War, you know, kids did like atom bomb drills and Don't they'd all climb there. they'd all climb under their desks like that was gonna help. You know, like this is like when my dad was a kid. So they kind of gave up when I was, you know, by the time I was like in grade school, the bombs had gotten powerful enough where like a desk wasn't gonna help. But you know, they like they were like, all right, just you know, say your prayers and goodbye. But yeah, like so they did they had atom bomb drills back then like it, it it's kind of the way we work like there's always a america always has a boogeyman always mm-hmm. we always have a boogeyman started back in the salem witch trials and then went to the king of england there's always some sort of boogeyman and and a lot of times too with the gun debate it is tough to see it's tough. It's tough to see the truth. I think there's, I think that to be honest and I, and it's going to sound like a cop out. Everybody's kind of right in a way, I think. And, um, I think certainly like guns could probably be a little harder to acquire. I don't, I don't mind if the right person owns a gun, but 
I think that depending on the state you live in, the barriers to acquisition can be low. I mean, Massachusetts is pretty restrictive, like really yeah, restrictive. We're you know? not at all. And we're, we just passed constitutional carry. Yeah. Uh, okay. Which, which means permitless concealed carry. One thing I wanted to ask though, is, so you talked about mental health. Tell me like, so let's take the guy who shot up the Pulse nightclub in Orlando, just as an example, right? Guy was obviously disturbed, right? Yep. Let's just say he didn't come to the America, came to Ireland and lived there. Like what would have been the difference between his life in Ireland versus his life here? Other than the fact he had to live in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> I might. I don't want to go crazy in Florida, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know your state's bad if I live in Oklahoma and I shit on your state. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> um, you know, I feel like Ireland has a very. <clears throat> I don't. I feel like America has this constant pressure of of extreme individualism on people. Like everyone is expected to be some sort of amazing individual person who is great at everything or great at something and there's a lot of pressure to be that thing no matter what whatever it is Mm -hmm. whereas i feel like in europe there's much more concepts around being a cohesive society like you have your part in society you don't have to be a shining star Mm -hmm. and i think those things help people acclimate into society like that outlook helps people acclimate into society a little better yeah um you know there's also Ireland's also had a, a pretty violent history, mm-hmm. and I think that's people are aware of like the the problems these kind of people can bring, and it's not really tolerated. If somebody is like if somebody was dangerous or their friends thought they were dangerous, it wouldn't be let go. Something would be dealt with, or mm-hmm. they would be, you know, they would be brought to some sort of health facility or people would intervene but i feel like there's always a sense of community around people that stop them going over the brink hopefully in most mm-hmm. cases mm-hmm. so you think it, by community do you mean like this person's neighbors or friends or whatever would intervene or there'd be some sort of government agency or both uh i think you know to flag it it can be anything it can be like you know your your school friends your your teachers people in your community like people will notice if something is off about a person and uh, and more so when i say community i feel like there's less pressure on anyone to be like overtly individualistic Mm -hmm. Uh, there's more just emphasis on you fit into society and you Mm -hmm. you do a thing and i feel like that makes people just calmer and and less prone to going a little crazy yeah I, i i'd agree with you there i think having had the chance to maybe know America a little bit from the outside, I, I feel like we're that, that sense of individualism has its benefits, but I would also say it makes us a very lonely society in a way. And it, it also, like you said, adds a lot of pressure. It's your, in America, you have a transactional value in a way. And it's not like you just have value as a human being. Your value is, kind of your achievements or your job or your station in life exactly. or whatever. Yeah. It's, it's what do you do is the first question anyone will, will ask. Yeah. It's, it's what, what you do or, you know, who you're involved with. So. Yeah. And, and there is, and, and I think that 
points back to why we're maybe a little more religious as well. Because the one sort of social regulating mechanism we have to counter that is religion, is a place where everybody's equal and everybody has value for uh, their faith rather than sort of a, a, a common sense of culture, a common sense of society like you have in, in Europe. And, and, and I think that that, that, that it helps mitigate it, but, but it comes with its own drawbacks as well. And so I guess, does that like, you know, obviously you've been here a while, it couldn't have driven you that crazy, but does that get to you at all? Or like, yeah, sometimes I'm, I'm lucky. I, I work fully remote now, yeah. so I kind of live in my own little bubble yeah. and avoid the world as much as I need. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, there's definitely, I don't, egotistical is maybe not the right word, but like there's this, I'm going to use egotistical for lack of a better use word. It. This is egotistical aspect to people you meet here. Like this really weird superficial way that, yeah, it can grate on you a lot. Mm-hmm. And it, it's very strange. People's self-worth is just tied to the strangest things. And and the, the way people look down on people who, who do jobs they see as like beneath them. Mm-hmm. Like working in a supermarket makes you a shitty person here apparently. Or, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. People just, there's a lot of weird classism yeah in america too you know i think that's again tying back to that whole you you you, yourself work being transactional you know you then start to look down on anyone who you think is below you or hasn't done what you've done in some way yeah Tell, tell me more about that like is there anything you can cite or any anything you saw when you first got here well i remember just talking to someone when i was in um europe actually back when i was back back in dublin and um we were in a, a restaurant and it was an American friend mm-hmm. and they said, that girl is too pretty to do this work. I can't remember what she was doing. She was like, you know, taking plates away or something like that. Mm-hmm. And something like that just kind of clicked. I mean, that's a, that's a really strange thing to say that you feel like someone's visual <laughs> like makeup should influence what kind of quality of work they should do. Yeah. Like, Oh, she's so pretty. She should work at a bank. It's like, what? <laughs> that makes no sense. To yeah. Me. Yeah, and uh, yeah, you definitely, you know, people, people. It's not this. It's not an overt thing, but you can tell people definitely look down on those who like work blue collar jobs, and not so much blue collar in like the manufacturing sense, but like maybe blue collar in the like you work in retail or you work in. It's just not like you hear it. You hear it now. It's like oh, minimum wage jobs. You know, it's for teenagers. Mm-hmm. It's like. Not really. It's not how that works, but okay. You know, it's funny. Like one of the jokes you hear from anyone from Ireland about coming to the U.S. is how every American tells them they're they're Irish. <laughs> yep. And there's there's a root in that because it at one point it mattered. You know, like the like the the thing the 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 thing that i think we don't even realize and it took me a long time to realize is that when you identify ethnically in this country it is there there are two purposes for it number 1 is 
getting back to something we talked about earlier, we we lack that cohesive sense of like being American, I think. American in some instances isn't a culture. It's almost like a platform. It's like Android or like you know, iOS, oh, you know, I, I'm completely with you there and that you see the mass overcompensation with the flags. That's exactly it. Like you have to like say, Hey, this is who I am to be something bigger than your transactional value to be something bigger than, you know, the guy who gets up every morning and whatever works at a supermarket or is a controller at a software company or what have you. Yeah, there's there's so much like cultural signaling too. I've never been in a country where you can identify like whether somebody would probably be part of your friend group based on their bumper stickers. Yeah. And 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 I think the the second part of that and I think maybe the more subtle part is that your your ethnicity also defined your station years ago. And it's 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 tougher to imagine now, but I back even even as recent as like the nineteen fifties, nineteen sixties, it mattered if you were Catholic, or it mattered if you were Italian, or it mattered if you were Irish. Like it I mean, it still matters if you're religious if you want to go own a Chick-fil-A. Or, oh, for sure. Like let's not pretend we've gotten past it, but yeah, no, it it still has its ugly little place yeah <laughs> yeah there's like there is definitely the desire to classify here yeah i'd agree with that and like people are they're like they identify as a thing and they're so hell-bent on me that thing like you're a democrat or you're a republican or yeah yeah blue lives matter or <laughs> oh, fuck the police it's one or the other right yeah like you're put on your you here you you're put on one side of the fence or the other and i guess like in 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 Ireland, it just seems so much more chill in that regard. You know, there were people who were who I knew who were like really political, but it didn't carry the same. Yeah, know. I think there's a lot more middle ground mm-hmm. in European politics, mm-hmm. even between like the swings of right and left. There's still considerably more issues that everyone agrees on. Do you have any idea why that is? Or is there something that you've identified, something that you've seen here that's different other than people are different? Uh, Yeah, I mean, there's definitely just that people are different Mm -hmm. part of it. Um, It's really hard to put your finger on. I think it's all slightly interconnected back to that. Americans are so obsessed with their flag because they don't necessarily have an identity. So Mm -hmm. they have to be so diehard on this thing because it it defines them as a person. Mm -hmm. Like your choices define you. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know why that's so inbuilt in people here, but that's definitely a big difference and a big change, and it's kind of strange. So when I divide up the new world, right, and really you can, you can divide the new world up into, you know, I think three distinct chunks, and there's Canada, there's the U.S., and then there's Latin America, mm-hmm. and they all have very unique approaches, and. If you look at like, if we start south and work our way up, you look at like the founding of Latin America. Latin America was basically founded on plunder. That's what it was. It was like, we're going to go here. We're going to enslave people. We're going to grow sugarcane and steal gold and infect everybody with syphilis. And that was kind of like, that's the way Latin America was founded. What a party. Yeah, totally, man. Sugar, gold, and syphilis. I mean, it's really... 
Like if that isn't going to Saturday if, night, yeah, if that isn't going to get you on a boat, I don't know what is. And then, and then, like you, you come up to the U.S. and it's funny, like the U.S. had part of that. Like that was definitely part of our DNA. Was you know, again, let's enslave people and grow tobacco and steal a bunch of land. But the one difference is that if you look at the North, the Northern colonies, there was more of a messianic purpose and more of a moral purpose to the founding of those states than there was the rest, you know, the South. Uh, And, and I feel like the combination of that heartless commercialism at the expense of all and that strong moral compass just sort of meshed in a weird way and <laughs> and 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 cuz if you look at our constitution if you look at our system of government there are principles in there i mean there there is a the ultimate principle gets back to that individualism it gets back to the idea that liberty starts at the individual and is reluctantly ceded to uh, the government authority. And I think there are some strengths to that, but strong moral purpose at times has kind of blended in with that kind of violent imperialism to do some kind of terrible things. You know, I mean, look at where you live. Look at, look (laughs) at where you live, man. You know, I mean, yeah, I mean, and, and that's only the stuff you commonly hear about, like the Trail of Tears. And have you ever read about the Oklahoma race riots? Yeah, that is some fucked up stuff. Tell me about this. So I'm going to butcher this. Yeah, so go for it. to anyone who actually knows what they're talking about. That's all right. Um, I'm glad we have an Irish dude to tell us about the race riots at Oklahoma. And I, this is... <laughs> Let me tell you everything that's wrong with your Yeah, talking. please. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, as far as I know. Um, basically Tulsa had like the most prosperous black community in the U S mm-hmm. at the time. And I think this was twenties, thirties. I'm, I'm not a hundred percent, but like there was a part of it. They called black wall street. Mm-hmm. It was just wealthy, well-off black people, thriving community, um, entrepreneurial, like community spirit, all of this great stuff. And things just got a little out of hand. It turned into, uh, I can't remember the exact kickoff point. The level of violence that <laughs> encroached was insane. Like, we essentially annihilate this community. Like, they, as far as they literally dropped bombs from an airplane. Yeah. And, like, called in, like, they deputized people and handed them guns to wipe out this community. And, like, that community never recovered. Yeah. Like, North Tulsa is, is to this day kind of a bit of a shithole. We will tolerate a uh, uh, we'll tolerate a higher level of force to maintain order than I think you'd see in Europe. Am I wrong there or no? No, I'd agree with that. I think Europe has a, a much healthier distrust of authority yeah. as well for for a place that has ended up with considerable more regulation and rule. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's just that constant sense of like we don't necessarily trust people who are in charge. Yeah. Whereas, isn't that funny that that we, for all intents and purposes, we probably have one of the most hands off governments out there, and yet at the same time we have the maybe the most blind 
allegiance mm-hmm. to authority. And that's that, that goes back to my gun ownership as well. Like people are always like, that's the thing. I, I never understand. Like all my, my liberal friends here are very democratic. Like they always go back to that argument of, oh, you know, you know, the police, the police are there to maintain law and order in society. I'm like, cool. But like an hour and a half ago, you were telling me about how the police here are brutal and they kill minorities and other people in, in record numbers and get away with it all the time. And you want me to put my trust in them to keep me safe. <laughs> Yeah, I think well there's there's also like frankly on the I, I would say on the urban democratic side, let's say there's a failure to recognize like we in this country legit have people who live around bears. <laughs> bears and wolves. Legit there are people who live around bears and wolves. And so I'm not gonna begrudge Anybody, like, let's put it this way: me sitting in Massachusetts, where I have to worry about like raccoons and coyotes, right? I'm not going to tell somebody else what kind of firepower they need to take out a grizzly. Like, that's just not, you know, I'm not going to do that. I, I think, yeah, should they pass some sort of like basic sanity check? Yes. Should they be? Mm-hmm. Should they be in a computerized database? Like, if I buy a Honda Civic, yeah, yeah, you should. Like that's that's not an onerous request, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh yeah, I'm not against that. I'm not against making guns more difficult to get. Um, and you know, those who get them should definitely be thoroughly vetted. Yeah. Uh, but like, I, I'm also a big proponent of the gun ownership. Like, I just don't understand people who blindly think just guns should be banned. Yeah. Um, especially like with the abuses of power we see in society, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, like we, I don't know. I think anyone who's watched the handmaid's tale and doesn't want to have a few guns around (laughs) needs to get themselves checked out. (laughs) It's funny too. Cause like, if you look at like, especially like Massachusetts, for example, right. Our entire congressional delegation really anti-gun, right. We also happen to have like ton of arms manufacturers in our state. You know, same thing with Connecticut. So like you can, they can wag their finger all day long at the folks who resist gun control. But the reality is it's putting jobs in their districts, which is ultimately what they care about. I feel like we've been forced to make the false choice between, for example, supporting the police and standing against obvious instances of police brutality or the false choice between supporting our troops and not wanting us to go into some bullshit war that we have no business being in. And, and there's, there is no middle ground there. And one of the moderating forces I think that exists in Europe that doesn't exist here is the presence of a true multi-party system. Yep. Do you feel like that adds to the situ- adds to the situation or Oh yeah, 100% because everything comes down to when your most important choices for how your country's run is a two-party system, mm-hmm. it's very easy to go that identity politics of me or them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that just leeches into every part of society. Yeah. You know, it it's me or them um you know, whether you know you're pro soldier or anti-war you, you know you can't have both mm-hmm. you're, you're with them or you're not and it just it's crazy 
Yeah, so in Ireland, it's uh, I can't remember the term for the style of voting, but it's preference. Mm-hmm. Like you get my number one choice, and then if you've got in, my vote will now go to my number two choice, mm-hmm. and if he's in, my number three choice would have gotten. There. Yeah, so yeah, it's, it's it's definitely interesting, and like it's interesting because there's there's more separation. Like I know people who vote for one party on a local level uh-huh. very consistently, but vote for another party on a national level. Yeah, because they're rightful thinking is like hey these guys are actually pretty good at dealing with certain issues on a more local community government level but they're not they are not like cut out to you know <laughs> run a country yeah so you vote and like oh go on yeah, sorry you vote for multiple yeah you vote for multiple parties and that's fine and you just vote for the party you don't vote for a person then is that right um so in local elections um the way it'll work is yeah you know you vote for individual people in your in all of like the districts, for example. Mm-hmm. And then what happens is the party with the most members of government has a majority. But what often happens is no party has a clear majority, so they have to form coalitions. Okay. So, you know, the Democrats, the Greens, and the Republicans all together didn't get enough votes for anyone to have a single majority. So the Republicans and the Democrats will, will form a, a temporary coalition for four years yeah. to, to run the country. I think that's what you'd see here. I think what you'd ultimately have is like, let's say we adopted that system. You'd have a center right and a center left party. And those would effectively be like the folks you hear on the news who don't sound totally batshit crazy. You know, those would be those, those folks. And then you'd have, you know, you'd have your greens, you'd have your socialists, you'd have your communists in this country. You would definitely have like a white nationalist party. Like you would have, you would have a certain percentage, but a certain percentage are going to vote white. Like there's, there's just going to be some sort of like, and it may be not like overt Nazis, but there would be some undertone of racism. Oh, there. I mean, literally wasn't there like overt Nazis. Running yeah. True. Republic? True. Yeah. Right. But yeah. So, so well, yeah. So they wouldn't, it, they just, they'd all come out of the woodwork and you'd kind of have to accept that. You kind of have to say, okay, so if we're going to like break up this duopoly, we're going to have to acknowledge that these folks are going to have to come out of the, you know, the darkness and, and and that's it and that's a good thing because when you see that these crazy fucking people get like one percent of the vote you're like yeah that's because you're nuts yeah totally <laughs> do you know i have a it's a totally qualitative theory but my theory is like 13 percent of the population will vote for anything because if you look look if you look at any instance and this 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 is specific to like like any sort of like crazy, like white nationalist, like political force, right? It's always like roughly 13% is the vote that they get. Like whether it's, you know, Harambe. Yeah. Yeah. That's it, man. Like that's, that's, that's how it works, you know? And, uh, and and uh, do you think that's people willing to vote for anything, or people spoiling their vote? No, I think they're I think they're they're people who are like, yeah, that's a good idea. Like, yeah, that make yeah, those people are taking my jobs. Those people <laughs> are the reason that I'm a total failure. You know, yeah. Those people are the reason why I'm 150 pounds overweight and I have high blood pressure, and it has nothing to do with like the extra large McDonald's shake I drink on my way to work. Like that's that there's, there's enough people who are, who are totally going to buy into that. Like, and, and, and that, that would definitely happen. And we'd have to accept that, but, but, but like easier to buy into a lie, right? (laughs) Without a doubt, man, without a doubt. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's yeah. And I think like, 
the thing about it is though, is I almost feel like that would almost be better than what we have now. That would be like, if you had somebody come out and say, yep, I think we ought to have a white neighborhood and a black neighborhood and, yeah. and a Mexican. At least you know where people stand. Yeah. Like at least you're like, okay, you know, like that's what you think. And that's it. But be in, honest. But instead, just, you have, just be honest. Yeah. But instead you have like people talking about like personal responsibility and, you know, self-defense and blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, and it's, and it's all just this, or, you know, again, safety at the border. And it's all just this thinly veiled, you know, that's it. Yeah. I mean, I can go on tangents about the immigration system at any moment. There's one great story I heard that I think sums up the Irish immigration system perfectly. This woman I know, her aunt worked for, you know, worked for whatever the equivalent to immigration is here or worked at like customs or something like that. Yeah. But, you yeah. know, she basically, she was the first, if you came, if you were immigrating to Ireland, if you were coming in, she was the first person you saw. So this guy comes in from, I think it was like Nigeria. She says, why are you coming to Ireland? He goes, I'm seeking asylum. And now the way it works is if you're seeking political asylum, you're supposed to declare it at your first port of entry. And of yep. course, there are no direct flights, or there weren't at the time, no direct flights from Nigeria to Ireland. So she goes, well, why didn't you declare this at your first point of entry? And he goes, this is my first point of entry. And she said, well, that's impossible. There's no direct flight from where you came from to here. And then he says, well, I was on the banks of a river back home, and a crocodile swallowed me. and then." threw me up on the shores of Ireland. And that's why I'm here. And so she said, I don't believe you. And the guy stuck to his story to the point where they had to take him to court and actually demonstrate their case that it was biologically impossible for a crocodile to have swallowed him, swam all (laughs) the way to Ireland, and then vomited him up. I'm half convinced that they did the case just because it was fun. But, you know, bottom line, they had to go and plead this case in order to ultimately get this guy, you know, or, or, or kind of contest this guy's story. And after all that, I think he was still allowed to stay. Yeah. We're very not, we, we, it's, it's, it's difficult to get kicked out. Yeah. You know, you have to, you have to really mess up. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like, so I don't know. I don't know what that says about anything other than there's definitely no wall going up there so that was a long and winding road but i hope y'all picked up on a couple things first thing david noted that the individualism in this country and the bent for personal achievement comes with a certain amount of isolation and pressure And that can lead some people to crack. And if you combine that with the overall lack of mental health care you've got here, you're going to start to see explosions in violence like we have now. It was very interesting to see somebody without really a dog in the fight over the Second Amendment state that it really is a mental health issue, or in part. Um, The second part, and something probably as unexpected as David's first conclusion, was the role our two-party system plays in an us-and-them type of environment that really breeds conflict and extremism. And 
You know, effectively, instead of figuring out a way to keep guns out of the hands of the wrong people, we get into this all or nothing argument over the Second Amendment that predictably goes nowhere. And to give you where I'm standing right now, I entered into this conversation a bit of a gun skeptic. Uh, My stance there is moderating, but I'm also convinced more than ever that our current winner-take-all system of elections is really a huge part of the problem and a huge reason we're not getting anything done. So next week, we've got the data monkey back with a sack full of spreadsheets, and he's going to lay out the gun debate by the numbers. Hope you'll join me. Until the next, this is Dan Sally signing off.